0: You're
1: listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live.
0: Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Francis Steed Sellers, a senior writer here at the Washington Post. Today, we're going to take another step towards explaining America with chief economist from Moody's Analytics, Mark Zandi. Mark, a very warm welcome to Washington Post Live.
1: Thank you, Francis. It's good to be with you.
0: Mark, the US economy has got the rest of the world on tenterhooks right now. Uh, the BBC has been updating its explainers about the debt limit showdown. So we have a deal, at least in principle, and I'd love to ask you what you make of it, what our audience should know about it, and whether it does, in fact, leave America stronger, as Speaker McCarthy said in our introductory video.
1: Well, uh, I look at this obviously from the prism of what, is it, what does it mean for the economy, the broader economy, and I'll have to say, Uh, it's about as good as it gets. I mean, given all the various scenarios that could have played out here, uh, I do think this is a uh, a reasonably good ending to the story. Hopefully it is the ending and they get this across the finish line in the next few days and pass a piece of legislation uh, that the president can sign. Uh, uh, If you kind of add up the totality of all the moving parts here, uh, by my estimate, it'll shave uh, as much as 150,000 jobs from the economy by by the end of 2024. That's when the peak of the impact will be will be felt. Uh, now that's not great. I mean, the economy is struggling. Uh, recession risks are high. If I were king, uh, you know, this isn't what I would do. But 150k in the grand scheme of things is uh, is manageable. Just to provide a little bit of context. The economy currently is providing uh, about 250,000 jobs per month. Uh, so 150K is a little over half the job creation in a typical month. It'll add about a tenth of a percent to the unemployment rate. Fortunately, the unemployment rate is very low at 3.4%, shave a bit off of GDP. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not great. Uh, this this is, isn't what I would do, but, you know, it's it's manageable.
0: It's manageable, but we're not, as you said, quite off the hook yet, uh, including a meeting this afternoon. Um, Tell us a little bit more about whether you expect this to pass and what the implications would be for the U.S. and for the rest of the world if it did not.
1: Well, at this point, for instance, I'd be shocked if it didn't. Uh, You know, got a lot of folks uh, with their reputations on the line. You've got the Speaker of the House. You've got the President of the United States that come together. Uh, you know, I, there is. Uh, it's not going to be an easy vote. Uh, you know, it's clear that uh, folks on the right uh, wing of the Republican Party are uh, not happy with this. They'd uh, like to see much greater uh, cuts to the budget. Um, and the folks on the on the left of the Democratic Party, they're not so happy with this. Uh, they're not uh, very comfortable with the cuts and. Some of the other aspects of the plan, like the uh, the more restrictive work requirements on, on uh, SNAP, the food stamp program. Uh, but I do think there's enough votes in the middle of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party to come together and get this done. It's, it's not going to be very graceful, I suspect, over the next few days. And it may feel at points that lawmakers may not be able to get across the finish line by that June 5th deadline that uh, you mentioned at the start of the conversation. But, uh, you know, I think the odds are, are very high if they do. If they don't, if I'm wrong, uh, well, that, that'll be a, just a complete utter mess. There's lots of scenarios at that point. None of them are any good. They're all just different flavors of darkness, uh, you know. So that's the reason why I think at the end of the day, lawmakers will come to terms and uh, pass uh, the, uh, this legislation.
0: Take a step back for me, if you would, and tell us how we got here. I mean, the debt ceiling was a matter of, or increasing the debt was a matter of formality for a long time. What's happening now, and do you think this is now the new normal?
1: I do think it's the new normal. It goes to our very fractured politics. Our politics have gotten more discordant uh, in recent years, recent decades. Uh, and, you know, this uh, a, a kind of uh, implicit agreement among lawmakers that existed for much of the period for which we've had the debt limit. And by the way, Francis, we've had the debt limits in ni- 1917, and, and for the vast majority of that time, you know, lawmakers came together and increased it or suspended it so that it wouldn't become the issue that it certainly has. But in the last uh, couple of decades, particularly over the last decade, it's become you know, a cudgel that you know one party uses over the other to try to force policy changes. Uh, and uh, I think that just simply goes to uh, our, our political environment. It's just uh, very fractured, and we can't seem to come to terms here. The stakes are getting higher, though. Uh, you know, I do think if you look at uh, uh, our fiscal outlook, you know, what what's going to happen going forward if there are not significant changes to fiscal policy—that's uh, spending policy and tax policy. Uh, it's pretty uh, disconcerting. Our debt level is, is already very high because of all the emergencies that we've had in recent years, and it's going to rise significantly more if there are no changes. So we need to come together and figure out a way to do this uh, in a more amicable, reasonable way. But but I'm afraid we're stuck with this debt limit, and that's going to you know just create a lot of drama uh, going forward.
0: When you mentioned that date, 1917. I think Denmark is the only other advanced economy with a debt limit set into the law. Why this system? Just step back a little bit and help me with that if you
1: could. Well, the original intent back in 1917 was just to kind of make it easier for Congress to do their job. I mean, Congress has to approve debt issuance. And that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Congress is the the keeper of the purse under the Constitution. And they have to uh, say, hey, it's, it's okay. You can issue the debt to finance the government's operations. And they were, you know, prior to 1917, for every issue issuance of debt, they had to pass a piece of legislation saying, hey, this is okay. And that was getting very cumbersome. And so they decided, okay, we'll just have this debt limit so that you, it allows uh, us to uh, to uh, approve these, these bond issuances on a regular basis. With uh, regular approval, once we get up to the debt limit, uh, Congress has to come back and rethink all, all of this. So the original intent was a, a reasonable one. But it has evolved into this, as I said, cudgel that each party is using on the other to try to force big changes in a very short period of time. And of course, the problems that we face fiscally are complex, very difficult. They can't be solved in the political cauldron of a debt limit battle that's raging within a matter of days and weeks. We can't solve Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid or decide tax revenue policy in this context, so it's it's evolved in a way that's very uh, counterproductive. And, and if I were, again, I keep going back to King, if I were King, fortunately, uh, <laughs> good or bad, uh, you know, I would do away with this thing altogether, but, you know, unfortunately, we're stuck with it.
0: Well, one other date I wanted to bring up, 1979, I think that's the only other time when we have sort of got a sense of what it might be like if we defaulted. Tell me a little bit about that, what happened? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was a mistake. Uh, that was a, an accounting word processing error where uh, the Treasury uh, missed a bill payment. Uh, this didn't get it done on time. And there's been a lot of academic research uh, of that period trying to figure out, you know, what are the in- ex- interest costs of that? So, you know, at the end of the day, investors buy uh, U.S. Treasury debt at such a low interest rate, lower than anywhere else in the world because it's money good. They know that they're going to get paid back on time, and there's no question about it. It's risk-free, and therefore, you get a lower interest rate. Uh, So uh, in this case, Treasury messed up, uh, had this accounting uh, word processing error. Uh, Investors didn't get their money on time. It was delayed. And it, it, it did result in higher interest rates for an extended period of time because investors didn't know, well, are they going to make the same mistake next time? And if so, I, I need compensation for that, which means a higher interest rate. So if you add it all up, it was not inconsequential. I can't quite remember the dollar amounts, but it, it was meaningful. And, of course, that was back then. Now when you have $31 trillion in debt, even a very teeny increase in interest rates adds up to a lot of money you know, very quickly. And you know, we certainly don't want to go down that path.
0: Yeah, and, and this debt ceiling seems like a sort of blunt instrument, but would Congress act in any way over American debt if it didn't have this deadline to meet?
1: Yeah, I I, I think it, they would, uh, but that they, we, we figured this out. It, actually, it, you know, we get stuff done, you know, I, I think it's up <laughs> to the voters. Uh, like, for example, when President Trump was president and he controlled, the Republicans controlled the House and the Senate, uh, uh, we got the Trump tax cuts. You know, you may not like them, uh, but they got them done, and that, that the voters voted and said, "Hey, you know, uh, this is what President Trump ran on, and you know, therefore, uh, this is what we want." President Biden, uh, when he won uh, and had both con- control of both the, the Senate and House, he got a, a lot done. Uh, you know, got the American Rescue Plan, he got the Chips Act, the Infl- Inflation Reduction Act, which goes to climate change primarily. Uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law to help uh, uh, improve our infrastructure. And uh, those are big pieces of legislation that we got a lot done. Voters voted. Uh, So I think when push comes to shove, voters just make a decision and we we can accomplish many things. Now, having said all of that, I think there are some tweaks we can make to the debt limit process to make it uh, more helpful, more productive. I think it's a bridge too far politically to think that. Lawmakers are going to vote to get rid of it. So maybe we can make a, an adjustment here or two to make it more more useful. Uh, but uh, I, I would say at the end of the day, you know, we will do what's necessary. You know, there's an old Winston Churchill quote. I'm going to butcher this. You probably know it. Something to the effect that, you know, Americans try everything and then ultimately do the right thing. Uh, you know, I, have, I this feels right to me. I feel, I feel like that's what would happen here. We would ultimately do the right thing.
0: Well, let me ask you about entitlement programs, which are often what come up, come up on um, Social Security and Medicare in particular that people think are not sustainable. What are your concerns here and what do you think the future of those programs are?
1: Yeah, that's uh, Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid. Social Security, Medicare, mm. that's uh, help out uh, uh, folks that are older, Medicaid to help out folks that are uh, low income and uh, in poverty. Uh, uh, And you have to take each one of these uh, 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 aside and take them uh, by themselves. Social Security is actually relatively straightforward in my mind. And here I would uh, just increase the uh, uh, earnings that are subject to the payroll tax. You know, right now there's a cap on the earnings of uh, uh, that are taxed up to I think it's about 140, 145 k. Uh, Just say, hey, if you make over, uh, you you pay that, and then if you make over 400k, you pay tax on that as well. If we do that, simply that change, and that seems to make that makes a lot of sense to me because you know the percent of earnings that are not a tax has increased over time since the Social Security was put on the planet back in the Great Depression because of income and wealth inequality, and the the skewing of the income and wealth distribution. We simply made that change. We put Social Security on, I think, very sound ground. I don't know if we'd solve it forever, but we get pretty close. Medicare and Medicaid are, more, are, are, are in my mind, more difficult because that goes to the cost of medical care and also the aging of the population for Medicare. Uh, if we, we want to simply provide the same benefits, healthcare benefits to older Americans, we are going to have to generate more tax revenue. So they're a little bit more complex. I think we need to make some changes with regard to prescription drugs and get the cost of that down and also some tax revenue there. But I think that's also doable. So these are these are big problems and, you know, obviously – not only political problems but economic problems but i think they are they are solvable at the end of the day
0: when you look at those programs and other ones how does america's debt where it spends its money compared where it compare excuse me with its peer nations
1: well we compared to other developed economies particularly let's say in europe uh we tend to have a a somewhat smaller government so you know tax Mm -hmm. revenue is a share of our economy of gdp our, this our spending as a share of GDP is is lower. Most other developed economies have, you know, universal healthcare, you know, provided by the government. The UK is a great example of that, and they pay for it. Uh, so we tend to have uh, a, a smaller government. Certainly at the federal level, we do more at the state level uh, than uh, you know other countries. The, they tend to be a little bit more centralized, but broadly speaking, you know, government is tends to be smaller here and. Um, Uh, And, and, you know, the amount of tax revenue that's generated tends to be less. We run big deficits, uh, but uh, and, you know, our debt load has been rising, but that's not unique to the United States. Every country on the planet has struggled with this. And this goes to uh, uh, the shocks that we've been suffering in recent years. The most notable, obviously, the most recently would be uh, the pandemic. That was very, very costly. Uh, Governments had to ante up. A lot of uh, money to, you know, kind of navigate through all that. And of course, the financial crisis back a little over a decade ago was very costly. So, you know, we've had our, our fair share of of uh, unforeseen shocks that have been very, very costly. But that's that's universal across the globe. That's not just a U.S. problem. That's a that's a global problem.
0: Yeah, I would like to ask you a little bit more about the spending on the pandemic. Um, America did not do incredibly well on uh, the health outcomes from the pandemic. Um, how is, that, how is that money being spent and do you see it as being spent in the right places during the pandemic, for the pandemic?
1: Well, we spent a lot. Uh, you're right. I mean, $5 trillion when you add it all up. That began with the CARES Act that was passed in March of 2020, right after the pandemic hit under President Trump. Uh, and then we had a couple of other packages. And then of course it ended with the American Rescue Plan. That was the last COVID relief uh, plan that was passed in March of 2021. So over that Roughly one year period, five trillion dollars. That that's a lot of that's a lot of spending. That's uh you know close to twenty five percent of GDP at the time. Uh, and uh you know it it had it succeeded in some very important respects, right, Francis? I mean, for example, the unemployment rate today is three point four percent. That's about as low as it's ever been, and that goes to just that response. It was you know incredibly aggressive in trying to support the economy, and it got us back fast uh it you know it has contributed uh but but here we are we were there's been a lot of debate uh about whether all that uh spending has contributed to the high inflation that we're suffering right now and the interest rate hikes the federal reserve is engineering to try to quell that high inflation Uh, in my view uh, that was a certainly the case back uh in 2021 going into 2022 Demand got juiced up by all that support, and uh, the labor market got disrupted by all of that support, and that conspired to push up inflation. I don't think that's contributing significantly to the inflationary problems we have right now. That's a host of other uh, reasons we can talk about. But there's a, there's but having said that, it, it's a reasonable debate, and we can have a lot of discussion around that. Uh, I do think at this point, uh, you know, there are still some unspent COVID relief. Uh, Money that's sitting out there, and that was being that's being pulled back in to help pay for this debt limit agreement. And I think that makes you know you can. There's a lot of things that want to be the states and others want to do with that money, but I I see that if you need to save money, that's a reasonable place to do it because uh, you know we did spend a lot on getting the economy back up and running. And you can question how well we spent the money. I mean, it did highlight a, a number of real. Uh, problems in our in the way we uh, deliver help to the to the economy unemployment insurance is a great example that was a big part of the cost you know if you become unemployed you get a check and that un- unemployment insurance system is a is a uh, program that has uh, the federal government involved and state governments involved and that really did not work very well at all in lots of different respects so uh, you know hopefully lawmakers of the future take the lessons that we learned during the pandemic Uh, identify those uh, areas where uh, we can make uh, some changes and actually make those reforms because uh, you know that we didn't need to spend five trillion dollars to get to the place where we are today
0: another quick question about the budget not so much about the size of the u.s budget but comparatively with other countries the kinds of things that the u.s puts its money into are there any standouts there you'd like to talk about
1: well obviously defense right we spend a a boatload on defense i mean we're Mm -hmm. you know the budget Uh, That's one place that did not get cut in this debt limit deal. The President Biden said, hey, I want to raise defense spending by, I think it's three or four percent per annum. And Republicans said, fine. So we're going to spend that money. Uh, I think the budget is about nine hundred billion dollars. You know, that's about uh, what, three and a half percent ish of GDP. Uh, It's down from where it was, you know, back if you go back 20, 30, 40 years ago. But it's still very, very high. Uh, compared to the rest of the world, so you know, if you had to identify the one thing that we spend a lot of money on that uh, other countries don't spend nearly as much on, is that. Now, you, you know, uh, I do think there's a lot of benefits to to that. We, you know, we are the protector of uh, much of the global economy and trade and transportation because of our of our, of our military. And that's a benefit to many other countries, but obviously uh, generates enormous benefit to us as well. So uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, I, I think it's important that we do this, but it is a standout, uh, you know, expense that other countries don't have, at least not to the nearly to the same degree that we do.
0: And then the other side of the ledger, the tax system, the revenue system, um, how does that compare to way way the ways other countries bring in money?
1: Yeah, I don't think that's too dissimilar. It's similar. I mean, we rely right. on. Uh, personal income tax, uh, well, I mentioned the payroll tax to pay for Social Security and the other entitlement programs. Um, you know, we have a corporate income tax that's relatively small, and over time, that's become a, a smaller source of, of revenue for because of, the, of uh, the tax cuts that have been implemented and because of uh, the ability of large corporations to move their earnings overseas where it's not taxed here in the U.S. at the same rate. Um, but broadly speaking, I, I'd say our tax system is not dissimilar. Other countries are a a bit more willing to try, you know, like a a so-called VAT tax, a sales tax. Uh, Some countries are imposing uh, carbon-related taxes to generate revenue, but more importantly, to uh, try to raise the cost of carbon emission and address climate change. So other developed economies are more willing to go down those paths than we are. But broadly speaking, I think the tax codes are not too dissimilar.
0: Let me ask you about another hot button issue, immigration and the impact of immigrants on the American economy. Is the U.S. doing enough to bring in immigrants and keep that economy ticking over and growing?
1: It's a mess. I mean, obviously, uh, (laughs) we really messed this up badly. Uh, And and by the way, Francis, in my view, immigration is one of the things that makes the American economy so exceptional. It It makes us tick you know, it, uh, it's the difference between our uh, dynamic economy and, you know, let's so say the Japanese economy where immigration is not really, uh, uh, p- you know, part of their experience. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of adjustment to all the immigra- immigration that occurs, but at the end of the day, I think it's a, you know, very significant positive. But we've really worked hard to, you know, make this a, a real problem, uh, you know, obviously given what's going on at the southern border. You know, it's it's very unfortunate and disconcerting because, you know, we came pretty close to immigration reform. You know, back uh, in uh, a little over a decade ago, you know, in the Senate, it got very far, had a lot of Republican support as well, and it just we just missed by a little bit, and that's a shame because that would would have gone a long way to improving you know our immigration system, making it more rational, trying to br- help bring in the best and the brightest and keep them here in the United States of America. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. You know, we've got these great universities, the the best to all come want to come here and get educated. And then we don't make it easy for them to stay. You know, it's like crazy. If, you know, if I, again, I keep going back, if I were king, if I were king, if you graduated from an American accredited American university college, I'd stamp a visa right on your head, say, we want you to stay, but we don't do that. We make life, you know, very difficult for, for those, those uh, very educated entrepreneurial uh, individuals. So I, you know, I think it, if there's one thing that could really be a game changer for our economy quickly, and also... Help our budget situation because obviously the best way to address our budget situation is to have a stronger economy to generate more tax revenue. Simply because you have more income and more profits uh, to uh, that are taxed, not at a higher tax rate, but you know at the same tax rate, would be uh, immigration reform uh, uh, because that that would uh, both lift the growth in our labor force and economy, but also uh, because uh, immigrants tend to be entrepreneurial, start companies at a higher rate than native born. Uh, you know, we, we'd have a, a more innovative economy, uh, a, a, high, a more productive economy, and ultimately a, a sounder economy.
0: Mark, I have a little bit of a why in that. It's we've had several people on this show who've talked about innovation and coming to this country, immigrants who've come to this country and done incredibly well here. Is that something to do with immigrants or America? What is it that makes people blossom here and and make so yeah. much money?
1: Both, I'm sure. I mean. Uh... I I do think immigrants, by definition, are risk takers, right? I mean, we think about it, moving your family to another place and saying, hey, you know, we're going to leave behind, you know, all that we know and go to a place that we don't, that's that's risk taking, you know, by definition. And that's what you need to be, to be an entrepreneur, you know, an innovator, is to take risk. And I think just by definition, you know, they're they're risk takers and they're entrepreneurial and they're, you know, they're very hardworking. But our American system makes it easier for them to survive and and flourish here. Uh, you know, we uh, do have a culture of entrepreneurs, business, entrepreneurship, small businesses, uh, or uh, uh, a lot of small businesses drive. You know, a lot of economic activity here, and, and even going back to our financial system, and this this is manifested in many different ways. But you can see it in our banking system. Most countries are dominated by just a handful of banks. Uh, they have very few small, mid uh, banks. Here in the United States of America, we've got big guys like, you know, think J.P. Morgan of Bank of America, but we got a lot of small, mid-sized companies, uh, banks. We've got 4,700 banks in all, and those small banks, they cater to small business. So we've got the whole system that we've set up here is designed to help uh, innovate uh, and uh, and to become entrepreneurial and you know, uh, uh, invent the next big, the big thing that's going to drive economic growth and create a lot of wealth. So I think it's both, Francis. Uh, you know, the, uh, the 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 immigrants are inherently risk takers and, you know, we uh, facilitate that uh, in the system that we've established here in the United States.
0: So Mark, I think any observer of this country sees the huge gap between the wealthy and uh, the, the enormous poverty in this country. Is that inevitable? Is that, how do you explain that? Is that a good thing or a bad thing from the economic point of view, and also from the social point of view.
1: Well, I'm not comfortable with it. I mean, especially given how quickly the income and wealth distribution has become skewed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it began really, you know, the the kind of the uh, the, the, the flattest our income distribution uh, has ever been was back in the 70s and early 80s. And since then, it's become increasingly more skewed for, you know, I think lots of lots of different reasons. Uh, and I, I don't view that as a positive development. Certainly. It's not, it's not a good thing for all the folks that are being left behind. And that's plenty of folks. Uh, and it makes our, our economy less stable because, you know, these, these households are taking on a lot of their own debt and borrowing very aggressively. One of the reasons why I think the financial crisis occurred was a, a lot of lower income households got access and took a, down a lot of uh, credit, uh, mortgage loans and credit card loans and auto loans, and that. Uh, was inherently unmanageable financially for them, and know blew up and took out our system and took out the economy. So there's there is a very you can connect the dots from the skewing of the income and wealth distribution back to the kind of the uh, volatility of our business cycle, and and and, uh, and that is, that's that's to, to no one's benefit. Um, and I do think there is evidence that uh, particularly as the income and wealth distribution gets more skewed. It weighs on uh, economic growth. Uh, you know, it disenfranchises parts of the population. and makes it less likely that they can achieve their potential, and that undermines the underlying productivity growth and labor force growth and participation and all the things that you know drive an economy. So yeah, I think this is a, a very significant deal, uh, and and I do think it's uh, it, 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 it's something that lawmakers should consider. Whenever making economic policy, they should make economic policy, but they also need to think of that policy through the prism of what it means for the broader income and wealth distribution. Here's the other thing, Francis. I do think there is some uh, uh, argument to be made that our fractured politics, you know, which we're, where we talked, where we started the conversation, our discordant right. politics, goes back to our, our uh, skewed income and wealth distribution. So,
0: do you see a way of 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 rectifying that in a in a, a neat way that is acceptable to
1: the public? Well, the obvious ways. Uh, in this field, it sounds hackneyed, but it's just pretty clear. You know, we need to think about how to improve the educational system for d- the dis- uh, for disadvantaged groups. Uh, you know, I I'm a uh, I live in Philadelphia. I grew up in Philadelphia, in the Philadelphia area, and uh, you know, Phil- Pennsylvania has a particularly a uh, vexed uh, system for uh, funding at schools is based on pro- a lot of it comes from property taxes from local property taxes in the wealthy schools like the one I went to when I went to high school it was a, it was a, a public school uh, got a lot of money but it was you know very wealthy and then you go and I'm in the suburbs of Philly you go into the city of Philly and you go take a look at those schools it, it it's just a complete mess because they don't get any funding because they're they're relying on the tax base uh, for that uh, part uh, for the city and the city's got, got all kinds of problems so you know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense in in the context of, of trying to uh, address the income and wealth inequality that we experience it's about in part educating the, the population so we have to really rethink you know how this is working and 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 funding the school system and education and Child care, early child care, uh, th- those kinds of things that you know ra- raises the educational attainment of of the population. I, you know, this is a very complex problem, lots of moving parts. It's not just one solution. But if I had to pick one thing that I would focus on and put it at the top of the list of things I I think we need to focus on, it would be it would be that we need to improve the educational attainment of the population.
0: Mark, a uh, last question. I wish I had time for more, but. The American Dream—it's all about upward mobility. Do you think today it's alive and well?
1: Well, I think uh, it's alive. Uh, I do think mobility is still happening. You know, I do think uh, that you know if you do take a chance uh, and start a company, uh, start a business, uh, you, know, you have a good chance—you have a chance of succeeding. You know, that's still—that's a key part of the American Dream. That's alive. I don't know that as well. Uh, you know we've got a lot of challenges. Uh, you know, we talked about the income and wealth inequality that exists uh, that is is uh, making it difficult for all Americans to achieve that dream. Uh, and our politics are very vexed and complicated, uh, and it makes it difficult for us to come together and find solutions, at least in a timely way to address uh, the issues so that you know the American dream does thrive going forward. So we have our challenges, uh, and I do think it's hard to argue that it's well, but it's certainly alive. But I want to end on an optimistic note. Uh, I do think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Americans solve problems. Uh, that's what we do. That's what makes us uh, exceptional. Uh, and I think we haven't lost that, and uh, that that'll continue to be the case. And we continue to will will continue to lead the rest of the global economy.
0: Max Andy, thank you so much for helping us to solve several problems this morning.
1: Thanks for the opportunity. Always nice to be King, at least on Washington Post Live. (laughs) So thank you.
0: King for the morning. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.